Well, if you braved the ice and snow from last week, you heard Pastor Jesse speak on Luke 5, 27 through 39. And we are in the book of Luke. And I'd like to highlight the last couple of words in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 39. The last couple of words that says, the old is better. And that is especially true when it comes to pastors. The old is better. Can I get an amen? Well, that was weak. All right, forget it. There goes my first point. Um, that's, that's called how to take scripture out of context, okay? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, when I saw that, I said, oh, I got to talk about that because the old is better. Unfortunately, it's talking about wine there and not pastors, but, you know, we can make the correlation. We're all wet, huh? All right. This morning, Luke 6, verses 1 through 11. Luke 6, 1 through 11. And that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And we'll be talking about an issue that some of you are still dealing with the ramifications of this issue. We're going to be dealing with tradition equals godliness. At least that's what is taught. That's what has been taught. In fact, we are surrounded by people, not here in this building, but when we go home, we are surrounded by people where tradition does equal godliness. That if you follow a certain set of rules, you will be closer to Jesus. Let's read Luke 6, 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he arose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Well, we are in the book of Luke. And it's been our joy to look at how Luke presents Jesus. 
and we are like a quarter of the way through the book of Luke. And the book of Luke starts out with such promise because you have, you have an angelic announcement about births, John the Baptist and Jesus, and you have miracle births taking place, and you have the long geological line of Jesus through Mary to prove that he is the Messiah. And you have Jesus' ministry starting out with his baptism. And then you have things that, well, things are going really well. Jesus' ministry is really flourishing. Luke 4.15 says, And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So the people were really, really excited about Jesus and his teaching and they were saying, whoa, whoa, this guy is somebody special. We need to take notice. And then the next chapter in Luke 5, verse 26. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with all saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus' ministry started out great. It was awesome. But boy, how things can change. <laughs> Chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. One Sabbath. One Sabbath or on a Sabbath. Now, we really don't know how much time has passed here between chapter 5 and chapter 6. Luke just says, on a Sabbath. But Luke wants to point out a very important fact that it was on a Sabbath day that this was happening. Now, why do you think Luke wanted to make that point? I mean, so what? It happened on a Sabbath. Well, because Jesus was about to make a very important spiritual truth. So Luke starts out by saying, on a Sabbath. And the spiritual truth that Jesus is about to confront is a spiritual truth that we wrestle with today even. Jesus was going to attack their religious system because divine truth is more important than anything. Let me say it again. Divine truth is more important than anything. Can I get an amen? You got to believe that. Divine truth is more important than anything. Let me remind you about the Jewish Sabbath, the sanctity of that seventh day of the week, which was an integral part of the Jewish faith. It's, it was no small matter, okay? Sabbath means rest, which is what God did after six days of creation. It's part of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 10. You can follow along on the screen. Remember the Sabbath the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. 
but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The message is very clear. Don't work. How many love that one? What a great command. Woohoo! Don't work. Do you know what that command says? Don't work. That's it. That's what it says. It says don't work. That's all it says. Can you say, oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah, that's all it says. It says don't work. Take a day off to refresh your body, your soul, your spirit. Don't work. John Piper says this about the Sabbath. He says, God is thinking, let my highest creature, the one in my image, stop and every seven days commemorate with me the fact that I am the creator who has done all of this. Let him stop working and focus on me, that I am the source of all that he has. I am the fountain of blessing. I have made the very hands and mind with which he works. Let one day out of seven demonstrate that all land and all animals and all raw materials, all breath and strength and thought and emotion and everything come from me. Let man look to me in leisure one day out of seven for the blessing that is so elusive in the affairs of this world. Well put, John Piper. Throughout the years, after God gave the command to keep the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders started to define what it means to work on the Sabbath. In fact, the Talmud, which is their book of rules, has 24 chapters dedicated to keeping the Sabbath, according to John MacArthur. 24 chapters on how to keep the Sabbath. It tells you how far you can walk. Some of you may have broken that already how much weight you can carry when you do something. If you're a tailor, you are not allowed to pick up a needle. If you're a scribe, you're not allowed to pick up a pen. They had rules for everything to define what it means to not work. Man, it sounds like they have taken the fun out of the Sabbath because you were so scared of, did I do something wrong? Did, did I overdo it? What did I? And if you broke the Sabbath, then you were laden with guilt because you were no longer a good Jew. You were no longer a good person because you broke the Sabbath. For one, how can you know all those laws in those 24 chapters of the Talmud? You couldn't know all those laws. All right, well, we got through the first three words of John chapter, or Luke chapter 6, so let's move on. It says that they were going through the grain fields. While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Now, how, how does that strike you, that they're walking through a grain field and they just pluck some grains and they start eating them? Um, 
Sounds like disciples were, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to help myself. Um, to me, that kind of sounds like, well, they're, they're stealing. But you know what's interesting? Here's what's interesting. Deuteronomy 23, 25 talks about this. Now, you farmers take note, okay? Break out your pen and paper and write this one down. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says this. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So obviously, the disciples were allowed to do that. That was something that Moses said you could do. So Doug Endel, if you're missing a few heads of grain this summer, you know that I stopped by a field and helped myself. You know, it just... It just was something that was allowed. You could help yourself to some, to some green. Now, verse 2. The Pharisees, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, after all, the disciples took some heads of grain, which meant they were harvesting. Then they rubbed it in their hands, so they were threshing it so they could remove the chaff so they could eat the grain. And they were working. According to the Jewish Talmud, they were working. You know, what I want to know is, where did these Pharisees come from? I mean, were, were they following Jesus, like stalking him, like, oh, we're going to see what he does? Or did they pop up from the grain field and say, aha, you know, like on Hee Haw, you know, they would pop up and, hey, where did these guys come from? It just says that the Pharisees questioned Jesus, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Hmm. But Jesus' response is precious, man. This is so cool. Jesus said, Have you not read when Jesus knew exactly that they have read, they have studied, they knew that inside and out. But Jesus is kind of pointing it out to them. Hey, have you not read? Well, in Leviticus 24, we find the instructions from God to Moses concerning bread. Jesus is going to be telling a story here. Now, this is the showbread, this is the bread of presence, this is the law concerning this bread, okay? Leviticus 24. Take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread. Arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area because it is a most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. So Aaron and his descendants, the priests, in other words, could eat this bread. So once the new bread has been put out, they could eat the old bread. That was the the ceremonial law. That was the ceremonial rule, okay? You all understand that? That that was a rule given by God. You got that. It's important. Now, in 1 Samuel 21... 
Jesus is retelling the story here. He says, okay, guys, have you not read, which of course they have read. Of course they know that. They know this very well. David was on the run from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. And, you know, David just couldn't show up at BB's and get some food because if he was seen, Saul would kill him. So he's hiding out. And, you know, when you're hiding out, you can't be seen getting food. So David and his men were hungry. And David goes to the temple. And he sees, he sees the priest there, Ahimelech. And David talks with Ahimelech and says, hey, um, my guys are hungry. All right, I'm hungry. We were hiding out from Saul. We, we need some food. And Ahimelech says, I, look, we don't have any food. Um, you know, we, we don't have any food except the new loaves are now in place and we have these old, old loaves of bread. Um, Ahimelech says, you can have them. You can have them. So David ate, the, David and his men ate that consecrated bread. Now, what's the point? What's the point of this? Mercy and compassion to another person is more important than a ceremonial law. Mercy and compassion towards another person is more important than a ceremonial law. Now remember, God gave that law. God gave that rule. But you know, in this instance, helping someone else is more important than a ceremonial law. You know what that tells me? That tells me that David was important. That tells me that you're important. Because God was willing to go against his ceremonial law to help somebody. And that's how much you're loved. That's how much God wants to meet your need. That he's willing to go against his ceremonial law to meet a need. That was pretty powerful to me. Let me say this. Um, <laughs> we have a community garden out that way. And uh, I've heard some of you say to me, you know, oh, I, I, wish, I wish I could pick things on Sunday. You know what, fr friends? You may pick the vegetables on Sunday. It's okay. Help yourself. Because we get caught up in, oh, wait, we, we can't do that on a Sunday. Where's that in the Bible? It's not. If you need food, you need food to feed your family, help yourself on a Sunday because you're here. It just makes sense. You don't have to get caught up in, oh, this is the rule. This is what? I, nope. Help yourself. And as you're helping yourself, pull a few weeds too. Um, 
but it's okay. It is okay. And that's the point Jesus is making. God is more concerned about your need than he is about a ceremonial law. Now, the ceremonial law helps to keep things in order. It's important, but it's not as important as meeting a physical need. Verse 5, Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. John MacArthur says, what Jesus meant to say was, I will interpret the will of God on the Sabbath. I will interpret the law of God. I will interpret the word of God. I will tell you what God means by what he says. I will tell you what the Sabbath is to be and what it's not to be. You are not in charge of the Sabbath. I am. You don't rule the Sabbath. You don't set the standards. I do. Jesus was implying there that, you know what? I'm God because I am over the Sabbath, because I'm the one who gave the Sabbath to begin with, to make it a day of rest. That brings us down to verse 6. And in verse 6, we find that Jesus is again on the Sabbath in a synagogue, which is where you usually found Jesus on the Sabbath. And you can just note that <laughs> when Luke says again, on another Sabbath, you know that there's going to be another confrontation with Jesus and the Pharisees. Oh, man, here we go. On another Sabbath, Jesus was in, a, was in the synagogue and it says, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. He was not able to use it. It held him back from being a fully productive person. Now, look at verse 7. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. They're, they're like, boy, I hope he heals on the Sabbath. I hope he heals on the Sabbath because then we can get him. Then we can get Jesus. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me ask you something. Um, how can they come and worship with an attitude like that? What do you think their worship was worth when they're just waiting? Come on, Jesus, heal so we can nab you. Huh? That worship wasn't worth Nothing, man, because they came with the wrong attitude. But boy, they were sure hoping that Jesus was going to heal because, oh, then we can get him. Boy, how the tide has turned from people were excited about Jesus' teaching and ministry to can't wait to get him. And where it says that the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, it wasn't a casual glance over to Jesus. It was a stare down because they were staring intently to see what Jesus was going to do. And you 
talk about hard hearts. I mean, there was, there was no, no move at all on the part of these Pharisees because a man was going to get healed because Jesus was breaking one of their additional laws to the Sabbath. I mean, here God was going to intervene on this man's life and, and heal him right before their eyes. But they couldn't see past Jesus being a lawbreaker to, wait, for Jesus to heal this guy, for his hand to be restored, that could only be done by God. And, well, is, is Jesus God then? Uh, that didn't even cross their minds. They were so caught up in, he's going to break the law on the Sabbath. He's going to break one of our laws on the Sabbath. Verse 8. But he knew their thoughts. Boy, what an advantage that is. Boy, I would, I would love to have that advantage to, to know what somebody's thinking. Oh, baby. I got you, Brandon. Uh -huh, I know, oh, wait. Uh, boy, to, to be able to know that. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Which is why he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. Verse 9. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save a life or to destroy it. Man, I love that Jesus asked questions that the Pharisees just could not answer. Well, actually, to be more accurate, to ask a question that the Pharisees would not answer because he knew that if they would answer, they would incriminate themselves. So there was silence. There was absolute silence. Then it says, <laughs> verse 10, and after looking around at them, ooh, wonder what it would have been like to look into the very eyes of Jesus in that situation. Can you imagine being one of the Pharisees and just sitting there, just, okay, Jesus, I dare you to heal. And Jesus looked at them all. I wonder if his gaze penetrated down to their very soul. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. <laughs> I'm looking at you. wonder how they felt. I wonder if they even had a, a little sense of guilt because of their attitude. I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus looked at them all. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. Now, 
I think for, for all of us here, if something really good happened to a friend or to an acquaintance, wouldn't we want to rejoice with them? I mean, if there was a healing take place, man, wouldn't, we would all, we'd all be praising God. Hey, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Not so here. It says in verse 11, but they were filled with fury. I mean, the Pharisees flipped out. They were filled with rage. Can't believe that Jesus broke one of our Sabbath rules. You know, the whole, the whole healing escapes the Pharisees because their hearts were so hard, they were so blinded to the truth that they couldn't even rejoice with this man. Jesus did not follow their rules. You know, some of you have had to deal with those, with that mentality from church leaders in the past because you were, you were given directives on how to dress and how to, how to live. I know when I was a teenager, I was not allowed to dance, go to movies, or chew, or go out with girls that do. <laughs> that was just how I was brought up. Um, in fact, when I was at Lancaster Bible College back in the late 70s, we were not allowed to play any recreational sport on the college campus. I mean, if you wanted to play tag, you know, tag football, we couldn't do that. If you wanted to play volleyball outside, we couldn't do that. If you wanted to play softball outside on a spring day, we couldn't do that on a Sunday for fear that we would offend a donor and then they would lose money for the school. We were not allowed to. So we had to down, tramp down to a, a nearby elementary school and play on their property. But we couldn't dare do it on the holy ground of Lancaster Bible College because that was a Sunday and you couldn't do anything on a Sunday. Now, I'm glad to say times have changed. But uh, that was what we grew up with. That was the, the rule, the legalistic rule, the tradition that you can't play anything on a Sunday. And I found out something very interesting. That's not in the Bible anywhere. Huh. Not interesting. In fact, the whole Sabbath rest is not in the Bible for us today as the church. I read in my readings, I read a bunch of authors and one guy said, we don't have a Sabbath anymore as Christians. Thought that was kind of interesting. I'm still working through that one myself. But we have Sunday. We meet on a Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on the Sunday, which is where the church really began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ on a Sunday. Now, for us as Christians, we are to make this day a special day because we have come together to worship. 
And what you do after you leave here is up to you. You know, I tell you what, I, okay, I'll confess. There are times in the summer where I will go and I will see some nice red strawberries in my patch and I will pick them and eat them because they look so good. And you know what? I don't even feel guilty because that's not work. If I get enjoyment out of picking some strawberries and eating them or picking some raspberries and giving them to my wife, which gives her great joy, that's cool. That is cool. Anyway, think about that. Our Sunday is to be for coming together and worshiping God. There's a day that we have set apart to do that. Now, whether picking a few strawberries or doing some other things that is work in some people's eyes, hey, that's up to you. That's between you and God. God has given you that freedom to do whatever. I know last, last summer, I was talking to my brother, and he said, ah, oh, man, I got to mow grass this afternoon, which was a Sunday. And I, my first response was, how dare you? This is the Lord's day. You should make... You know what? If that's what he felt that he needed to do, that's between him and God. I am not going to sit in judgment of him. So if you want to pick some vegetables out of the community garden this summer, help yourself. That's between you and God. You may do that. Because, see, folks, godliness is not a set of rules. Being close to Jesus is not how you dress. It's not what you, what you even do. It's in your relationship to Jesus. It's where your heart is. That's the bottom line. And that's what the Pharisees couldn't get past. No, here are, here's a set of rules. And you know what? It's a whole lot easier to follow a set of rules than to make sure your heart is right with Jesus, because that's hard. But that's what Jesus was getting at. Look, I don't care if you follow a set of rules, Jesus is saying, what I want is your heart. Make sure your heart is right with me. Folks, that's my plea to you this morning. Is your heart right with Jesus? You know, sometimes... Even doing good things like having your devotions and praying can become a, a religious ritual that you do because I'm supposed to. But where's your heart in that? Sometimes, it's, I mean, sometimes you have to go through and have your devotions because I have to. Hopefully that brings you closer to Jesus. But the bottom line is, where's your heart? That's what Jesus wants. He wants your heart. Religion is concerned with rules. Christianity is concerned with your relationship with Jesus. Loving Jesus with your whole heart makes you a good Christian.
Let's pray. God, it is my prayer here this morning that you have our whole heart. God, it is my prayer that that's what we're striving to do each and every day is that we're working on our relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for this passage in Luke 6 to remind us that it's not a, it's not a set of rules that you want us to follow. You want, you want us to follow Jesus and give him our heart. So God, help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing Mighty to Save.